here's all I'm going to tell you. Turn your shit up right now because I have a blessing for you if you haven't heard or seen this yet. From LSU social media team, their national championship game hype video. Audio coming your way right now. Turn it up. Think of all that time. Every sprint in the summer. Every weight in the winter. All those hours no one else saw. Think of every sacrifice. Early mornings on the levee. Late nights in the film room. Bus rides to playoff games. Every bump in the road. Every moment of ecstasy. Every moment of doubt. Years wondering. Is it all worth it? It's all led to this. Man, I got this. It's a 60-minute drive for a 60-minute game. After all the miles we've traveled, we're almost there. After all the hours we've worked, one more can make us legends. After all that time, this is our time. Boy, if that doesn't get your shit going, you are not alive because we are about to crown a champion. 72-hour mode. In 72 hours, we will be prepping, really a little bit more than that, prepping to see the matchup that will crown a champion. As Urban Meyer used to say, 72-hour mode. No, no bad stuff in your body. Prepare for this game. So if you, you got to check that video out. It's ridiculous. And, uh, man, it got me hyped. So go to LSU's football Twitter, and uh, you'll find it. It was phenomenal. Uh, before we get to the show, a couple things I want to talk about. First, uh, the Patreon. I want to just kind of remind everyone, uh, our Patreon is what fuels this show. Uh, we've been advertising on the show, uh, kind of hit or miss. Not hit or miss. It's been inconsistent, but it's been really beneficial for uh, the, our partners, which has been awesome, and it's, it's, it's helped financially grow the show and support the show, but Patreon is the real way that we can continuously do this show. So if you love the show, support the show. The perks are worth it, I promise. Our new Menace members uh, group chat has been popping for about a week now. It's been awesome. Really cool conversation, a lot of question and answer, and a lot of really feedback and just great conversation. So check it out. Also, the studio uh, is it's pretty. I mean, the studio's done. The video setup, we're just finalizing. So that should be done soon. So be ready for it. Final stages are almost complete. YouTube and Twitch uh, streams coming soon. Also, uh, I want to just mention this, drop this real quick. We have a new show coming out. Um, right now, we're aiming for January 20th. That's the goal. It might be the following week. But either way, it's about life and business, society and culture. We're going to discuss all the things I talked about at the very start of this show. Uh, legal system, mental health, business, entrepreneurship, careers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be awesome. We have some awesome names lined up already. So hoping to drop that first episode in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned, like I said. And then uh, we're working on a name. I got to name it. That's my biggest issue or else I'd already have launched the platform awaiting the first show. So send us your thoughts. I have a name hopefully in the next week. But um, just wanted to get that out of the way. Without further ado, let's get to the show. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. Or do you do what everybody else in the media does, just create some shit and throw it on the wall and see what sticks, which is what I see happening everywhere. Where are we at in society today? I'm a man. I'm 40. When my time on earth is gone, 
and my activities here are past. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome to Menace to Sports. Uh, I'm Zach Smith, your host. Uh, really excited about this show. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I'm obviously at the end of the show going to break down kind of my thoughts on the national championship game, kind of my insight, what I think. You know, I've, I've been right more than I've been wrong. So uh, take it, take it for what it's worth. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how the game plays out. I'm excited for the game. It's going to be an awesome watch. Two potent offenses. Uh, one defense a little better than the other. But either way, I, I wanted to. I was thinking about this this past whatever ten days, and I wanted to bring this up, especially for Ohio State fans. Uh, there was a decision made towards the end of the year at Ohio State that I think impacted, or could have impacted, where they sit right now. And that decision was Jonathan Cooper had one game to play. And they chose to have him play, or he chose to play, in the rivalry game. So the question I have for you is, did they need one of their best D linemen to be the difference in that game? A 56-27 to 27 ass kicking. Because I know this much. They definitely could have used him opposite Chase Young against Clemson. Not only to pass rush, but to do things like peel on the running back and to track Trevor Lawrence on a scramble or a QB draw. Because the reality is, outside of Chase Young, he's the most athletic D-end on the roster. He's older, gives Zach Harrison time, Tyreek Smith time. They might become a more athletic version of a defensive end than him. I don't know. But right now, as it sat, he was the second most athletic D-lineman in the program. And he didn't play because he played against Michigan. So it was just, it was food for thought. I'm not saying an error was made, but I, I kind of am. Because they didn't need him against the rival, uh, against, against Michigan. They didn't. And I get the, the impact of that game, what that game means. I, I Trust me, I understand it entirely. And I'm not saying it was wrong to want to play in that game because of the, the magnitude that that game always is. But the question is, is big picture with a season-ending goal, I guess, in your mind, what game did they need him the most? In my opinion, that game was Clemson. Even more so than had they won a matchup with LSU. That was the game, the game of the year. And I, I think they could have used him. But I also want to talk about uh, just a lot, of, a lot of movement in the coaching industry right now. A lot of uh, staff dynamics change, some turnover places. Obviously, at Ohio State, there's uh, Jeff Halfley's leaving for Boston College. You got some uh, coaches on the move, moving and shaking. And uh, I, I brought up one thing, I think two episodes ago, whatever it was. It was a week or two ago. Um, and, and, and it made me think, what do I have to say on here? Breaking news, like breaking news. I don't give a shit about breaking news. I'm not here to break news. I could give a shit if I ever break a story. I'm not trying to break stories. I'm not trying to be like Burt McMurphy douchebag. But it's so funny how two days after I mentioned that Corey Dennis is going to be the quarterback coach at Ohio State, people all over social media are like, breaking news. Corey Dennis is going to be the quarterback coach. I'm like, bitch, I told you that two days ago. Not that I care. I don't want credit. Please don't ever give me credit because I'm not looking for credit. I'm not looking to break news. I just think it's so funny. But uh, on the heels of that, I will tell you, Kerry Combs will be named uh, the, D, the secondary coach and co-D co coordinator, whatever the title will be, after the Titans season is over, FYI. But you can wait for some, some other person to break the news for you. But that, that is going to happen uh, from the people that I've talked to. Obviously, things can change. But that's right now what it looks like is happening, or it has happened. Uh, another thing, my, my guy, my Baylor guy, I predicted he's going to be the head coach of the, the Penn State Nittany Lions eventually. And uh, not that that won't happen, but... He uh, made the jump, Matt Rule, to the Panthers. I sent him a message uh, to, to congratulate him and, 
and told him to get on Curtis Samuel, my guy. So uh, congratulations to Matt Rule and people that are being critical that he left Baylor for for the Panthers. I mean, just stop it. It's the nature of the industry, and, and, and you already know my thoughts on the transfer portal. Players should be allowed to do it once also. Uh, it, it's just the way, that, it's the way it works. The guy wanted to be an NFL coach. He wanted to coach at the highest level, so get off his back. It's ridiculous. In other news, and not that I'm going to talk a lot about NFL football, but we are seeing an NFL playoff without Tom Brady in it. And that's wild. Now people think uh, it's time for Tom to retire. He's, he's uh, holding the Patriots back. The guy that has literally been the reason they've ever, been, they've ever won a Super Bowl. When it comes to offensive production, he's done more with less than anyone ever. But now he's the issue because he didn't play uh, lights out. I think the issue is they don't have players around them. But I did want to bring this up because, uh, and the reason why I brought this topic up is because I, I think I've mentioned it before, but if I haven't, I'm going to mention it again because it's that impactful and that good. If you haven't seen his documentary, Time versus Tom, how he's able to do what he's doing at his age is phenomenal. And a little backstory on it, Tom Brady changed quarterback play. He Ryan Day studied the shit out of him. Him and I had long conversations about how he changed the quarterback play game, I guess you would call it, the mechanics he did things differently than anyone in the history of football. Here's what he did. You know, you see all these quarterback gurus. You'll see them on ESPN. My favorite is, uh, what's a guy's name? George Whitfield. That's what it is. Quarterback guru. And you see him on TV. He was on ESPN, actually, talking about the draft, talking about quarterback play. And he made some comments, and, and people that know football are watching. I remember we watched one. It was kind of in the uh, staff locker room, and he said something. And, I mean, there was like four coaches, and they are like, they pay this guy to say that. Did you hear what he just said? Like the guy knows nothing about quarterback, but he might, he's, he's out there with brooms on the beach and sweeping sand at people. But anyways, in the uh, era of gurus, right? Wide receiver gurus, footwork gurus, quarterback gurus, all these gurus. Tom Brady didn't go to a guru of quarterback play. You know who he hired? A golf swing coach. Not to improve at golf, but because in a conversation, this guy convinced him that golf mechanics, the golf swing mechanics would be able to be applied to a throwing motion to increase accuracy of his throws. The guy knew nothing about football. He just knew about body mechanics. So Tom Brady hires him, changes his complete throwing mechanics, did things, does things at the the quarterback position that I was always taught the opposite. And it's phenomenal stuff. So if you, you got to go watch it. Talk about time versus time. You got to check it out. And the other thing is Tom Brady uh, and I, I say this all the time to everyone. I, I love his, his mentality of, in, of improving himself is don't tell me it was a great throw. Like in practice, don't say great throw, Tom. That doesn't do shit for anyone. Don't tell me uh, that was a great show. I don't care. I mean, I hope it was great, but I don't need to hear that. I need to know what can make it better. I need to enhance it and improve it. And that's Tom Brady's whole mentality. So I, I encourage you to check it out. Anyway, switching uh, back to college football. How about the transfer portal? <laughs> And NFL draft, they are making it the, the combination of the two are making players disappear like Thanos in Athens, Georgia, right now. I mean, the whole team's gone. I don't even know who's left. I think their center's left. That's it. And a bunch of young kids that no one knows. I mean, Jake Fromm leaving early to be what, a third rounder at best? That is telling of the culture with Kirby Smart right now and how frustrated for Jake from Fromm State Farm is with the offensive skill and the offensive scheme because that kid should not have left. Oh my gosh. He is going to lose a lot of money that he could have made coming back for another year. But either way, think about this at Georgia. 12 months ago, they had Jake Fromm and Justin Fields. Now they have neither. Ouch. <laughs> that, that hurts. And then Cade Mays, a former five-star, is going to transfer to Tennessee. His younger brother signed there. 
Um, that's like Saban coaching tree branch on branch crime, right? Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart's like getting players from each other. It's just like, my gosh, man, that's like family. So now they have one returning starting O-lineman. They lost their quarterback, their best player on offense, and DeAndre Swift's going to the league. Their best receiver in Lawrence Cager graduate or is done. He, he exhausted his eligibility. This actually might be a stroll in the park to Atlanta for Dan Mullen in Florida, but that's neither here nor there. Most important breaking news, and I will tell you this, we don't deserve this. We don't. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. College football fans don't deserve this. No one does. But I'll tell you this, college football fans must be living right. They have great karma because we get Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin in the same conference, in the same state, and facing off in the Egg Bowl rivalry. You know how awesome that's going to be? I'm turning on tweet notifications for both immediately. I'll, I'll be recording every press conference, every media day. This is going to be epic. It's the greatest thing the football gods have given us in a long time. It's going to be awesome. So uh, before we get to the national championship breakdown, a couple things I wanted to talk about. Uh, it's just coaching turnover. What happens? What it's like? And I will tell you this. Uh, so Corey Dennis is the new receiver coach or receiver quarterback coach at Ohio State, right? We know that. And I want to talk about that transition. Now, it's different for Corey because he's going somewhere that he has been working with those Justin Fields for a year and has been working with the position, knows all the players. But normally when you take a job, there's two critical, critical things you need. One is you need a great intern. You need a great intern, someone that knows the players, knows what's, what, what's went on, and can help you kind of shift the room to your room. That's critical. I had Keenan Bailey was, was my uh, assistant, and then Heartline came in later, and they were critical because they helped drive the room when you're on the road recruiting or when you first get in. They, they bridge the gap. And so Keenan Bailey is a great one at Ohio State. Corey Dennis uh, has already has that at Ohio State. But it's, you're looking at all over, all over the country where coaches come in. And, and what they have to do is when you come into a, a new situation as a coach, the first thing you have to do is develop trust. That's what you have to do. You have to build a relationship. It has to start somewhere. You can't get on a kid's ass about catching jugs or doing this stuff in the offseason if he doesn't know you. So that's the first objective is to build trust, build a relationship. And, and after that, the most important thing that coaches have to do is prove competency. That means that player has to believe that you're coming in and you're going to make them better than anyone else in the world. They have to think they have an expert, an expert at that trade. If you're a, ru a running back coach, it's got to be pass pro, vision, jump cuts, high, second level reads, receiver coach, it's got to be releases, uh, top ends, ball skills, all of that. And they have to walk out of that. I mean, you have one shot at a first impression. They have to walk out of that first meeting, first couple meetings and say, holy shit, this is going to be awesome. That's what Jeff Halfley did at Ohio State. Now, he was fortunate he was coming in uh, on the heels of a really poor defense. That's easy. That's when it's really easy. If they sucked before, it's really easy to make them believe you're going to be the one to make them better. What's really, really hard is to follow a great coach because you better be on your shit. You better be really, really, really good. Because if you're even 1% less as good, if you're 1% less competent as the guy who just left, they're going to see it and you're going to lose your room immediately. So it's a fragile time. All these places, getting new coaches, getting new coordinators, getting new, uh, new staff members. It's critical because that's when it's really fragile. And you look at what Jeff Halfley did at Ohio State. Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, all those guys, all they did was rave about him because they felt like he was so competent and such a great leader 
that was going to develop them, and they bought all the way in. And look at the defense this year. That is the key to coaching. Buy in because they know you're going to make them better. They'll do anything for you if you do. Anything. You can ask them to do things that no one else in the country is going to do, and they're going to do it because they think you're going to make them better. So that's what's going on right now. I also want to talk about recruiting because this is a, obviously the signing class is mostly done, but I wanted to talk about as a position coach, what that means. So there's a thing called unit management. You are in charge of your unit, right? And every program is different, but ultimately as a receiver coach, you're in charge of your room and it becomes like, uh, you're the CEO of that room and you have to have charts and, and, and really project out body types and positions and who could leave when they might leave who in the recruiting trail could be an improved replacement for them because what you don't want to do. And, and this is not a knock on this year for Brian Hartline because they signed the best class I've ever seen at receiver, but you don't want to take five receivers or four receivers. That's so many receivers to take. If you're an O-line coach, you don't want to take seven O-linemen because the reality is that sixth and seventh, maybe even fifth, sixth and seventh O-linemen, they're not going to be good enough or else they're not going to come with five other kids. So you're really bringing in kids that are not going to improve your football team. You want to be consistent. Maybe let's say, let's say you O-linemen, you usually want 15 to 16, right? So on average, you'll lose four. You want to sign four every year and just keep replenishing. That is great unit management. Now, what can, what can happen to disrupt that? Obviously, guys can leave early for the NFL. Great problem to have. Guys can transfer. Maybe they, don't, they can't play, got in trouble, some form of attrition. So you have to plan for all of that. It bit me in the ass one time, and it's because of the, the, the attrition I didn't know was coming. It was after the 2016 season. We come off the heels getting our ass beat by Clemson, and Noah Brown decides to leave early. That was my first, oh, shit, because I, he shouldn't have left early. I mean, he actually, I actually think he made the right decision, but he was not ready to leave early is my point. He, he, he did what he absolutely should have done, hindsight being 2020. Curtis Samuel leaves early. I thought that was going to happen. And then Urban ran out of town, uh, I think three other receivers. And all of a sudden, I thought I was losing, uh, who, who I thought I thought I was going to take two receivers in that class, maybe three at the most. And all of a sudden, I need to take like five. And it's like, holy shit, it's mid-January. Signing day's in like three weeks. And we have to go try to sign two more receivers. It was wild. So you have to expect the unexpected, that's for sure. I was going to do it in this episode uh, and talk about the bowl season analysis, but I'm going to wait till after the national championship game, though the rest of the bowl season's done and I'm going to, I'm going to eat my words. I'm going to, I'm going to be unlike anyone else in that has a, an audio media show. I'm not going to call myself sports media. I fucking hate it, but uh, I'm going to be honest and and I'm going to talk about my thoughts preseason and my predictions and where I was wrong and why, because that's, that's what people don't do. They don't ever admit they're wrong. They just switch their take completely and then talk about how the SEC is the best conference in the country. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> a couple months ago, you said it was the ACC or whatever. They, they don't ever have any integrity. So I will be full of integrity on the next episode next week when I talk about the conference, uh, how it played out, what I think of the, the landscape of college football. I was going to do it this show, but, but I'm going to save it until after the national championship. The one thing I do want to talk about is there is a big discrepancy in the country right now, and that is the West Coast and Southwest. The Big 12 and Pac-12 are so much worse than the Big Ten and SEC. And the ACC is too, but they at least they have Clemson. And, and, and I've been asked this a couple times by some people that are fans of Texas, are fans of USC, uh, Oregon fans. And the question is like, what, what do they have to do? And the, the reality is the state of Texas and the state of California 
have as good of football players and as good of football as anyone in the country, Florida, Georgia, Ohio, you name it, Pennsylvania, they do, might be better. So what do they need to do? They need to recruit better. Why is J.K. Dobbins the running back at Ohio State? Why is Wyatt Davis a guard at Ohio State? Wyatt Davis should be at USC or Oregon or Washington. J.K. Dobbins should be at Texas, Texas A&M. Shit, Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't have a good back right now. We saw that in the semifinal. They have a decent back. They don't have a J.K. Dobbins. Texas certainly doesn't. Then you look at all these players playing nationally. Why are they leaving California and Texas to go to Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia? Why? That should never happen. I'm telling you this. There's been, what, one or two kids out of the state of Ohio that have not gone to Ohio State that should have in the last eight years? They got to recruit better. Otherwise, it's going to be like this. The SEC will be king with the Big Ten challenging them, and no one else will even be relevant. The ACC? Certainly not. Unless Florida State can find a way to become relevant again. And some, I mean, Virginia Tech needs to become the old Frank Beamer Virginia Tech. You need some, some, some of those mid-tier ACC teams to pick it up. The North Carolinas, Boston Colleges, maybe Halfley can get that done. Otherwise, we're talking about a two-conference race, and the SEC has the edge. And no one else is relevant. You might get a decent team every now and then, a la Oklahoma this year, but you throw them in the mix with the best in the SEC and the best in the Big Ten, and they get run out of town. They got to do better in recruiting. And Oklahoma is the one that should. I think they are. Lincoln Riley is. It's just a matter of can he take that jump to become Alabama, Ohio State. Can he do that? And if you want to talk about what is holding the Big Ten back right now, there's two teams, in my opinion, that are holding the Big Ten back. Well, the three things, really. One is Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State have fallen completely off a cliff. They used to be nationally relevant. I mean, shit, they made the playoff one time. They got blown out, but at least they, they were really good. But Michigan and Penn State need to step the fuck up. Jim Harbaugh needs to actually do something and save all that bullshit about it. Michigan is better now than it ever was. I don't give a shit. No one cares. Michigan needs to be nationally relevant. And when they lose to Ohio State, go still beat Alabama in the bowl game. But that didn't happen. That wasn't even, that was a joke. Penn State needs to not, they need to have a 11 and one season and, and be in contention for the playoff. And if they don't make it, go smoke whoever they play in the bowl game. That's what the Big Ten needs. Ohio State's the only one holding up their end of the bargain right now for the Midwest. And Notre Dame, my God. I know it's not the Big Ten, but at least it's the Midwest football. Terrible every year, every year. This year, I watched them. I was like, ah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to will it to existence. Speak it into existence. They're, they, they're better. They're better. No, they're not. Same Notre Dame, same Brian Kelly. So I'm going to get into that more next episode. We're going to take a quick break, and then let's, let's dive into this Clemson-LSU game. So we'll be right back after this. Thank you for listening to Menace to Sports. Our show is growing, expanding, and exploding. Help us make it grow even faster and even more. How? Glad you asked. First, I'd like you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Menace to Sports. Subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to this on, and please rate it. Rate the show. Give us five stars. Also, after the show, tweet out about the show. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you think. Post on Instagram. Use the hashtag, Best Football Analysis, and tag us in it. We'll retweet it. 
We also have a Patreon subscription service I mentioned at the beginning of the show that is getting uh, th- that has been revamped. And uh, it's, it's a really fun hobby for us right now. It's a really fun platform. But your support will fuel our growth and expansion to provide more of the best college football content in America. I'm talking video content, written content, more frequent shows, uh, better guests, more whatever, longer shows. So, I, but either way, now that I'm done talking about that, I want to let you know I appreciate you listening. Really appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, last year was great, but 2020 is going to be even better. So help us grow, help support the movement. And like I said, uh, and I've been saying, if you're interested in joining the movement, reach out at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at menace2sports.com. If you want to be a, a writer, if you think you can provide value anyway, if you want to be a part of this movement, reach out, Zach, at menace2sports.com. But anyways, let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. Let's get to it. Let's get to the national championship analysis. And here's what I'm going to say before I start. Um, I think my opinion has been very, uh, very clear, very, uh, very transparent. I've been very open about what my thoughts are on both of these teams. I'm going to talk a little bit about both sides of the ball, both matchups. The one thing I will say is this, uh, the, the greatest discrepancy between the two teams, the, the greatest difference is defense on defense. Clemson's defense is better than LSU's. However, what I will tell you is LSU's defense has improved immensely over the last month. So let's not lose sight of that. I just want to start with that because this is not the same LSU defense that I'm seeing on film that gave up a million yards to Ole Miss. It's not. But I want to start talking about LSU on offense because that's that's the story, right? Joe Burrow, this ridiculous offense. And here's, here's the thing. This is Brent Venable's greatest test as a coordinator to date. That's Clemson's DC, if you don't know. This is his greatest test because this offense is the most loaded offense he has faced starting with obviously Joe Burrow, but even the skill and running back. So the question is, what can he do? He's not going to play man coverage. Not a lot. He'll play some, but you can't play man coverage. They don't have the cats. They don't. They're going to put a safety on Justin Jefferson. They don't have the safeties to cover Justin. I don't know if anyone does. So they're going to play zone coverage. But then the question is, can you play zone coverage and let Joe Burrow just find, find holes in your zones? If they aren't there, he's the best I've ever seen. Uh, maybe not ever, but he's one of the best I've seen, certainly in the country right now, at buying time to find someone. So you can't play man coverage, and zone coverage is really dangerous. I, I don't know. I really, I honestly don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell him. So the question is, are you going to pressure Joe Burrow? Yeah, that, that's really smart, right? That's, that's got to be the answer. Pressure him. Make him feel the pressure. I mean, Clemson's had 39 pressures in the postseason, 20 per game. LSU's starting tackles have allowed 11 alone. Sadiq Charles and Austin Deckless. So, so that's it, right? Pressure Joe Burrow. That's got to be Brent Venable's answer. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Here's the issue. Joe Burrow is better and more productive when he's blitzed. In the postseason, first off, 842 yards passing in two games, outrageous. In championship games, 11 touchdowns, zero picks. So we know how good he's been completing 74% of his passes. So pressure him, you say. That's the answer. It has to be. You can't sit back. He'll just eat you alive. Pressure him. He's completing 82% of his passes when he's blitzed. He's more productive when people blitz him. I honestly, right now, do not have an answer on how to stop Joe Burrow. You have to just, I guess, hope he's off. But if you know Joe Burrow, which most, I'm sure most of you don't, I do, in, a, in an environment like this, 
That is one of the toughest kids with the biggest chip on his shoulders, with the greatest competitive nature about him. In a game like this, you're not going to get some uh, flat version of Joe Burrow. Not a chance. So the next challenge is how do you cover Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marshall Jr.? So Clemson will play zone. They have to. It'll be interesting to see what, what, they're, what their plan is. I'm, that's, I think that's what I'm most excited about because I have such respect for Brent Venables. I'm excited to see what a guy that is that good at his job decides to do with this animal they have to face in New Orleans in three days. I mean, I like A.J. Terrell, the corner from Clemson. I like Darion Kendrick, the other corner. But they haven't seen anything close to these two receivers, or really three receivers. They haven't. And I love Ohio State's receivers. Those are my guys. But these, these kids in LSU are different. Different. Jamar Chase hasn't done much in the postseason, right? The Blitnikoff Award winner. 51 yards per game and only one touchdown. Because teams have certainly focused on him. He was the best receiver in the country if you watch award shows. But because of that, Justin Jefferson is reaping all the benefits of that attention to Chase. 342 yards and five touchdowns in two games. Stupid. In the slot. He's, he's unbelievable. And then Terrace Marshall Jr., 169 yards and four touchdowns. So pick your fucking poison, Clemson. What are you going to do? The matchup to watch will be what they do with Justin Jefferson in the slot. They're going to match him up. I mean, it's got to be Isaiah Simmons, I guess. He's their best player on defense. Because I tell you what, it's not. It's not who are Clemson's greatest weakness in coverage. And that's their safeties, Tanner Muse and Nolan Turner. They are not ever going to touch Justin Jefferson in coverage on this football field. Not going to happen. You can write it down. If there's a way to put a bet on that in Vegas, do it right now. I'm telling you. And, and I know, I know, don't, don't save, save your breath. I know Nolan Turner had the game ceiling interception against Ohio State. It was a good play by the kid, but he's not a great cover safety. He's just not. It's just what it is. So I don't know what they do. It's going to be exciting to watch. It's going to be interesting. And what I didn't even mention, probably the, the biggest news or the biggest difference between the semifinal game and the final game is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is coming back healthy. This will be a huge, huge aspect of the game. If Venables and his defense can at least slow them down, though, if they can at least slow them down, I think they'll win the game. You aren't going to stop this offense. It's just not happening. But if you slow them down enough, you've done what no one else has done all year, and then you have to rely on your potent offense to outscore them. Trevor Lawrence has to have a day. Clemson's offense has to put up 40 points. And then just slow them down. Find a way to slow him down. Keep him in front. Don't let him hit big plays. Try to just contain Joe Burrow a little bit. And don't let the run game beat you to death. That's got to be the answer, in my opinion. But then you look at when, when, when Clemson's on offense. And here's what I want to do. I, I want to put out there right now. Don't take Ohio State's lockdown performance of T. Higgins and Justin Ross as evidence that LSU can do the same for a number of reasons. One, Ohio State is much better in the secondary than LSU. They are. And really comparing the two teams, LSU defense to Ohio State's defense, they're not, they're not the same animal. It's not even close. And these same two wide receivers went off on everyone, including the vaunted SEC defense last year of Alabama. Nine catches, 234 yards, and two touchdowns. Alabama's defense was light years ahead of LSU. Last year's Alabama defense was far better than LSU's defense this year. And they went off. They play man coverage. LSU has improved on defense 
for, for really two reasons. One, Dave Aranda has simplified the defense. They're doing less to eliminate missed assignments and mistakes, and they've tackled better. Now, I didn't say they tackled well, but they've tackled better. Single-digit average in the postseason, two games. So the question I have is, can Derek Stingley Jr. cover either of those three, any of those three receivers? He has been really good this year, but, and this is a huge but, when he had to cover a first-round receiver, Devontae Smith, it was a long day for the freshman. 213 yards long. He did not do well. And these kids, these, these freaks of nature at Clemson, the two pillars I called them last week or two weeks ago, I mean, they're huge. They catch everything. It's going to be a real, real question mark for LSU on defense. Trevor Lawrence is playing his best football right now, and that's scary considering what his best football looked like one year ago. If Tua Tungavailoa can go for 418 yards and four touchdowns, Trevor Lawrence might go for 505. Not to mention what we learned in the semifinal. Old Trevor, sunshine himself. He can run like a deer in the woods. He can eat ground. And when LSU plays man coverage, their defensive scheme, what they go to the bank on on defense, they all turn their back to him in coverage. And, he's, if he, and he'll, see, he'll find a crease. It's scary. And I've mentioned that last episode. What's going to have to happen is the D-line is going to have to twist their asses off. What I'm, they're going to have to twist, create chaos, just the four of them, to try to eliminate scrambling seams. And then the next question LSU has to face is, how do they stop Travis Etienne and the Clemson run game? Again, don't take Ohio State's performance as any indication of predicted success for LSU. LSU's rush defense has not been elite, but the one caveat here is they have held their past three opponents to under 100 yards rushing, and they were pretty, pretty good opponents. They only did that twice prior to those three games against Utah State and Northwestern State. So it is improved, much improved, matter of fact. I think it's really going to come down to those things. I think this game is, I'm, I'm so excited to see what Brent Venables does on, on defense. Because I don't know. I, I, I think I know the game really, really well. I don't have a good answer. I don't even know what I would try to do. It's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. And I'm excited to see what their answers are, uh, how Clemson bounces back from the awful offensive performance against Ohio State. And I don't care. You can talk about Trevor Lawrence scrambling and Travis Etienne on the little check downs and screens. Outside of those two things, they didn't do shit on offense the entire day. And that's not going to work out if they want to win this one. It's not. LSU scores too many points. So my prediction, without further ado, I think Clemson is your national champion, 38-35. Because I, I believe, I have faith that Brent Venables will find a way to slow down Joe Burrow in this offense enough now, make sure you heard that. I didn't say he's going to stop Joe Burrow. I didn't say he's going to stop the offense. I think he'll find a way to just slow them down a little bit. And then Trevor Lawrence has to have a big day throwing the ball. Clemson, 38-35, that's my prediction. But uh, anyways, that, that's all we have for you for today. I appreciate you tuning in. A little bit shorter episode. I was talking a little too fast, but um, next week, have really excited about the two episodes we're going to put out next week. We're going to review the national title game, bring on... Uh, an awesome guest or two, and uh, we're going to start the off-season, I guess, programming off, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to have some uh, 
NFL athletes come on the show, some guys in draft preparation, just kind of to give us some insight onto that. We're going to talk a lot about recruiting, dive into the, the recruiting organization, recruiting aspects of college football. We're going to talk about a lot. We're going to really attack that at all angles. We're going to talk about people uh, in the college football world that are a part of recruiting, run recruiting, that kind of talk about how it goes. We're going to bring on some reporters to talk about that side of it, the media that is associated with recruiting. And then we're going to talk to uh, a couple of parents, parents of college football players, former college football players, current recruits to get kind of the family aspect of it, the kids' perspective. So we're going to really talk a lot about recruiting, about NFL prep, NFL draft, uh, kind of just the off-season programming. What's going on right now in college football? As as we try to do, we try to stay relevant with what is going on in the um, the gin- ginormous industry that is college football, that is recruiting, that is uh, college athletics. So really excited about it. Excited about this off-season and what we're going to provide. Also, like I said, excited about the new show coming end of this month. Kind of talking about life and, and really just life, life and business, entrepreneurship, starting something up. Kind of share my experience as a, a, a really a new uh, entrepreneur or someone that is new to this world, and give you my perspective on how it relates to college football and, and the world I lived in for 15 years. And and we have an awesome list of guests for that show. So, anyways, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate it. Um, Please leave us some feedback. Hit us up, Zach at menace to sports.com. That's Z A C H. If you're interested in advertising or sponsorship, reach out. We have some great offers, great packages, and really providing a lot of value. Companies have been very pleased with it. So thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. We will see you next week as we crown a national champion in a mere three days. Hope you were entertained. And if you weren't, as we say, go fuck yourself, San Diego. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. Or do you do what everybody else in the media does, just create some shit and throw it on the wall and see what sticks, which is what I see happening everywhere. Where are we at in society today? I'm a man. I'm 40. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my ass.